Hello, this is Emmanuel Ogbonnaya. When we read Matthew chapter 1 from verse 1 to 17, it initially appears like boring stuff. But then, observe that record keeping was what made it possible for us to have that accurate historical family tree. Listen, the God we serve is a meticulous and diligent record keeper. From Matthew chapter 1 from verse 1 to 17, you would also notice that God loves order and arrangement. For example, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 17, I'm reading out of the King James Version. To all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. <laughs> Look at this. Do you realize that none of those people who lived in those generations could have arranged this kind of sequence? Only God could have done this and only God did it. From this verse, you see that beyond record keeping, we serve a God of order. God likes sequence. God is not haphazard. He seems to love doing things after a specific pattern that he chooses. You know what? All of that goes to show us that the God we serve is organized. So out of Matthew chapter 1, the next thing that we're looking closely into is the fact that God keeps records, that he is orderly and organized. First of all, speaking of keeping records, understand that this cannot be done without writing. Brothers and sisters, God writes. Our God is a writer. We are told many things about writing in scriptures. We are even told that a lot of writing goes on in heaven as records are kept there. The scripture tells us that there are books in heaven. Exodus chapter 24 verse 12 and Exodus chapter 32 verse 16 are just two examples where we see that God wrote. The Bible tells us that God wrote on tablets of stone. You know, these were slabs of clay that were used to write things in those days by inscription. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3 and Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 3, the Bible speaks about the tablets of our hearts. So now we understand that God wrote on stone tablets in the Old Testament as a type and a shadow of what he would do later. He did that to show us that in the New Testament, he would write his laws on the tablets or on the writing pads of our hearts. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 and Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 clearly say to us that the laws of God are written upon our hearts. In the scriptures, we also see that God also instructs several times that we write. But what should you write? In Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 2, God told Jeremiah to write in a book everything that he had told him. We have the book of Jeremiah today because Jeremiah obeyed God. And you know, even till this day, God wants you to write down in a book the things that he tells you and the things that he shows you. Listen, friends, our God is a faithful God. What I find is that he prepares us ahead of time. I have found that God often gives you the answer before the question arises. So if you develop the habit of writing down the things that God tells you, you'll get to find sometimes that several years to come, the answers you will need for the things you face will be found in the things that you wrote several years before then. So write down what God says to you. Also, you should write down what God shows you. God told Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 to write down the vision he had. 
Friends, God also wants you to write down visions and revelations that he gives to you. Write them down. Oh, I could stay on this point for hours. Listen, those who write what God tells them and shows them are sometimes more effective in life than those who do not. Let me also give you this for free. Those who write what God shows them are more effective in the prophetic than those who do not. Even the scriptures show us that. From the Christmas story, we find another reason why you should write. In Luke chapter 1, verse 63 to 64, we see Zechariah taking a writing pad to write down the name of his son during his son's naming ceremony because there was a mild dispute as to what the boy should be called. Zechariah had gone dumb right from the time just before the baby was conceived. But that day of his son's naming ceremony, he took a writing pad and wrote these words. His name is John. The Bible tells us that right from the moment he took the writing pad and wrote those words, his mouth opened immediately. His tongue was loosed and he started speaking and praising God. A miracle of restoration happened at the instance of his writing. Because your writing is your voice. Listen, Zechariah went mute for speaking against what God said. And then he again got back his speech for speaking in line with what God said. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, your writing is your voice on paper. If you're writing digitally, your writing is your voice on that digital device. What you move your hands to write is just as powerful as what you move your lips to say. Why? Because writing ventilates the decisions and the conclusions of your soul. Zechariah, through what he wrote, had come into alignment with God. Through what he wrote, he had come into sync with God's intent. Therefore, his mouth was loosened. Listen, friends, what you write is an affirmation. Affirming the right things through writing can cause the power of God to be released in your life and in your circumstance. Listen, child of God, refuse to complain. Instead of complaining, write your faith in God down. Write your expectations down. Listen, you can, as it were, flip on the switch of the power of God with the words that you write. Because what you write is just as powerful as what you say. Still on this point of writing, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, we see Peter and Paul speaking about writing. They spoke about how that what they had written would serve the purpose of blessing the believers. Peter spoke about how that the things he wrote would stir them up. Paul spoke about how that the things he wrote would bring them into a place of understanding. Listen, brothers and sisters, you too can write for these very same reasons. These scriptures and many others have helped me to see that I can stir people up with the words that I write. They have helped me to see that I can bring understanding to people through my writings. You too can do the same. You can cause people's passion for God to be stirred and you can write down what you know so as to bring others to a place of understanding through your writings. Today, the Spirit of God is saying to someone listening to this, write. This Christmas, God wants you to know that your writing can bless the world. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. I'm reading out of the New Heart English Bible. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened like this. 
His mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Notice from this verse that Mary and Joseph were still chaste, though they were already engaged to be married to each other. As believers, we agree that God wants us to live chaste lives before marriage. But there's this other quiet truth in that verse that I find that many miss when they read the verse. From Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, which we just read, you'll notice that God wants us to see that engagement is not the same thing as marriage. Hmm. Look, Joseph and Mary were engaged, yet they were still chaste in their engagement. You know, many people today keep themselves chaste until they meet the person that they know they will get married to. Then they throw caution to the wind because in their minds, they wonder why they should continue to hold themselves back from the person they are already engaged to be married to. Listen, brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 that marriage is honorable and that the bed in marriage is undefiled. Let me explain that. Any sexual experience you frolic in before marriage dishonors you and defiles you. Child of God, sexual purity does matter to the heart of God, even between two persons who are engaged to be married. This is why the story of the birth of Jesus Christ opens with directing our attention to this point. To emphasize to us that sexual purity matters to him is also why God chose a virgin. God is sure telling us something through that. Now, if you are not yet married and you are no longer a virgin, this is not to condemn you. From this moment onwards, you can decide to live in a way and manner that honors God. This Christmas, someone needs to remember that being engaged isn't the same thing as being married. That it is important to stay upright, even when it looks as though there is no need to still maintain those standards of righteousness. Listen, before I got married, while my wife and I were still cutting, I told my wife, I'm a virgin, you are a virgin. I would like us to keep this testimony this way until we are married. God helped us and we maintained our testimony. By the grace of God, I and my wife were virgins until we got married. So it is possible, my dear friends. Listen, righteousness is not just right standing with God. As valid as right standing with God is, there is more to righteousness than that. Don't emphasize any aspect of God's word to the point where you make it seem as though other aspects are unnecessary. You know, speaking about righteousness, there are three revelations of righteousness that you need to understand. These revelations are right standing, right nature, and right living. When we believe in Jesus, we come into right standing with God. A right nature is born on the inside of us. And these two, the right standing that we have with God and the right nature on our inside, give us the capacity for right living. In other words, the purpose why God brings you into right standing with himself and the reason why he imparts into you a right nature is so that you can live right like him. That's the only reason why you're going to be able to spend eternity with God in the presence of God because his nature is on the inside of you. So the essence of that nature is to get you to live like God. Friends, purity matters. Purity means chastity and uprightness of life. Purity means blamelessness. Purity is that third dimension of righteousness called right living. 
Yes, God is merciful and gracious, but there are many things that he cannot do with a person who has no testimony of purity. For instance, it had to be a virgin who would give birth to Jesus. No matter how much he had forgiven somebody who had screwed up their lives with fornication before Jesus was born, he could not have chosen somebody who wasn't a virgin. Because the prophetic word had gone forth, he had said before time that Jesus would be born by a virgin. Listen, child of God, there are many things that God cannot do with a person who has no testimony of purity. And by testimony of purity, I don't just mean a testimony of purity in this area of sexual purity. I mean a testimony of purity in their lives. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 6, Paul says, Pureness or purity is one of the signs of a minister of God. In several scriptures, the Bible tells us of the need to maintain a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 5, verse 22 tells us to keep ourselves pure. Listen, I know that today we live in a world where people try to counter God's wisdom with so-called stories that show that it's safer to do what is contrary to God's word. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, don't be fooled. God is the only wise God. And we know that he who walks with the wise shall be wise. So don't company with fools. Walk with God. There is wisdom in tagging along with God. In your heart, resolve to do things God's way. Hallelujah. God willing, we will pick it up from here in the next one.